How are you guys doing? Not so good? Hungry? Some of us at least. Some of you were like looking at that video and like, man, I wish that food was on my plate right now, right? Now, it's, um, it's 21 days of prayer and fasting. As, as um, Felix already said, we're on day eight right now, and we're all doing it in different ways. At least many of us are doing it in different ways. And um, how about you? But it's like, you know, you see like on Facebook, suddenly like every third post is about food. Did you notice that? <laughs> or something that, um, that um, a friend of mine, uh, Pastor Tim Timberlake, he's in, um, in our Jacksonville location. Uh, he preached last Sunday and he said like what, what he does during the, the fast is like he would go and watch, watch like the Food Channel or Kitchen 24 and uh, we'll take note of all these recipes of the amazing things he wants to eat after the fast. And it drives his wife crazy. I'm not like that. Well, I did watch, uh, I did, you know, you know, look on Facebook. I'm not fasting social media, obviously, but uh, a friend of mine, he's in, he's in Thailand right now, and he went to a French restaurant in Thailand. How about that? French restaurant. Supposedly one of the cheapest, but like super good quality. And I see like these escargots and all these, I love escargots and like steak and all these other things. It's like, you can smell it. How, how many of you guys smell it right now? I smell steak. Okay, yeah, so I'm just like rubbing it in right now for all of you who are fasting food. Um, yesterday, um, I, was in, um, I was at a conference, and then afterwards when I came home, um, all the Lego was in the living room. And, and my boys asked me to help out with sorting out the Lego. I'm like, sure, I'll help you. And we were there like three hours sorting Lego, all these Lego little Lego bricks, and it was like a big job and, and we were hoping to be done by then but it wasn't it, we weren't even halfway by the time we we stopped doing it and um and i was so like i was just so worn out i'm like how is it possible that i feel so worn out i mean it's only sorting out lego and uh and then i noticed that well i'm fasting that's the problem so i'm like man i gotta do something about this let's let's call the pizzeria let's call the chinese um, place like in our in our little town of Huizen. And I ended up not doing it. Praise God. I had the victory. So anyway, that was, that was a bit of an interesting Saturday for us. And I'm sure all of you have experiences like that at the moment. But it's all good. It's all good because, you know, I'm hoping that, that you come here not only with a hungry stomach, but you're coming here with a hungry heart. How many of you have come with a hungry heart to receive from the Lord this morning? Right, and so I'm like last Thursday at the deeper night, I, I shared like you know we need to have hungry hearts and thirsty souls, and, and I'm praying that that's that, that describes you today because uh, I'm I have a hungry um, hungry heart as well for more of God in my life uh, during the season, and um, you know I'm just so excited about what God's going to do you know through the deeper nights through the the prayer meetings at homes they're available for you as well through the conference and all these things and this is going to be our best year yet 2020 i really believe that so um so anyway just want to continue the series that my wife started last week with a message on the the deborah uh, i think the english speakers say jabra the dutch speakers say deborah right but it was a great message. You really want to watch it if you, if you weren't here last week. And uh, I'm going to continue the series. We're actually in, uh, we're going to do three Sundays in the book of Judges. So if you have a Bible, go to Judges chapter 6. I'm going to look at the second major judge there, which is Gideon. 
And then uh, next week, I'm going to speak about Samson. And that's going to be a very interesting message as well. As well, You don't want to miss that. But today, we're going to talk about Gideon. And um, in this time, you know, how many of you have ever felt like God has deserted you? Ever had that? I'm like, there's two people. It's just Mark and me. I think we all had that, right? It's like you're, you're praying, and, and it, it feels like, you know, your prayers don't go further than the, than the ceiling. How many of you ever had that? Okay, that makes more sense, right? I think we all have situations like that. But here's a whole nation, Israel, that actually feels that. It feels like God had deserted them. That's, that's the setting of Judges chapter 6. And I want to dig a little deeper in the story today to, to kind of look at, at what, it, what it looks like and to feel like God has deserted you and how you can get out of that. But the Israelites had felt it on many occasions. In this case, the Midianites had basically have been oppressing them for, for quite a while now. And Israel had a love-hate relationship with this people. Did you know that the name Midian actually means strife? Interesting, huh? Why would you call your nation strife? I, I don't understand, but that's, that was, that's what the name means. So every year the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would, would come to Israel, would raid the country, basically take everything that had value and take it back to their home country. So it would, they would strip the nation bare, um, and there wouldn't be any food left for the, for the Israelites. It was a horrible, horrible time that they were, were facing uh, in these years. There's nothing to eat anymore. And I want to go with you to uh, Judges chapter 6, verse 5 and 6. It says this. Uh, first, let me pray, though, before, before I read it. Father, we, we just pray right now, Lord. We want to surrender ourselves to you and allow you, Lord, to speak to each and every one of us. God... Give us hungry hearts and thirsty souls for your word. And Father, may, may we all thrive in your presence, God. May we all be able to step into the amazing things that you have in store for each and every one of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. So Judges 6, verse 5, it says this. These enemy hordes coming with their livestock and tents were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels, too numerous to count. And they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. So the Israelites, they were, the situation for them was so bad that they were hiding. They were even hiding from their enemies rather than confronting them. And your situation is really getting worse when you're up to that level, when you're up to that place. You're, you're hiding from your enemy rather than confronting them. And my question to you this morning is, what are the Midianites in your life? What are the, what are the things that are causing strife for you that you're unwilling or unable to confront, but you're hiding from them. It could be a broken marriage. It could be an addiction. It could be an addiction to alcohol or drugs or medicine or whatever else it could be, porn. Maybe uh, broken relationships with your kids. That could be a Midianite. It could be unemployment and, and being unable to find another job. It could be depression, mental health issues. It could be all sorts of things that we struggle with in our daily lives. And no matter what your strife is, I believe that in 2020, God wants to bring restoration and wholeness to your life. I believe he wants to bring restoration and wholeness to your family. I believe God's just getting you ready for a breakthrough, a, a huge breakthrough in your life today. So in Judges chapter 6, the, the Midianites, they're oppressed by the Midianites because of the Israelites are oppressed by the Midianites because of their sins. 
Because, you know, Judges 6 verse 1 says that they did evil in the Lord's sight. And it's easy to point a finger, right? You know, when you see someone else struggling, you know, maybe they're struggling in their marriage. Maybe they're having a hard time financially. Maybe some people have passed away in their, in their family and you're like, uh, it's probably because of their sins. Because I, I just read the story here in, in Judges 6 and the Israelites were suffering because of their sins. But let me tell you this. It's not always like that. In, in fact, in many cases, it's not like that. I mean, just think of the Israelites themselves. I mean, they were, they were slaves in Egypt. I've been reading the Bible for many years now. I, I was never able to find a reason, like, a, like sin or something, in the lives of the Israelites, why they, why they were in Egypt. There was no spiritual reason for them to be there, except for, uh, you know, except for the plan of God to be fulfilled. So don't point the finger if somebody's going through a rough time. Instead of that, you know, let's just surround them with love. Just show them God's love. Show them the fact that we're family, that we, that we love them, that we care about them. Important to realize. Now, when the situation of the Israelites became so hopeless, it says in verse 6 that they cried out to the Lord for help. And some of you are need to get to the point that you need to start crying out to the Lord for help. Because I believe that that's where breakthrough starts. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm, I sometimes need to run against a wall before I really start to see that I actually have a need, that I actually need God to show up in my life. Because I don't know about you, but I'm always trying to fix my own situation. How many of you are with me on that one? And I need God to show up in my situation. I need God to give me the breakthrough. But it's only when I come to the end of myself that I allow him to work in power in my life. It's important for us to realize that, to allow God to move in a way like that. And the Lord then hears their cry and he sends a prophet. And it says this in Judges 6 verse 8. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. That's what the prophet says. I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. I drove, you, drove out your enemies and gave you their land. I told you... I am the Lord your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live, but you have not listened to me. So the prophet here, he's speaking on behalf of the Lord. He's speaking on behalf of Yahweh. If you, if you know a little bit about the Bible, you know, every time when you see in the, in the English Bible, when you see the Lord in small capitals, it actually doesn't say the Lord in the original text. It actually says, why H-W-H, which actually is God's covenant name. It is a personal name that's there. It's not a title like the Lord. No, it's a, it's a name that's right there. It's important for us to, to know what the name of, of God is. Y-H-W-H, that's, you know, and um, the theologians, they're still, you know, uncertain of how you actually pronounce it because the, the Jews have been so secretive about this. But... We believe it's the name Yahweh. Yahweh is a personal name for God, and it's actually the covenant name of God. It's like, you know, he made himself known to his people and basically said, hey, you're part of my family, and, and this is how you address me. This is, this is my name as your, as, your, you know, as your God, as your family member, as your father. Yahweh is my name. 
And here he basically reminds the Israelites of the covenant that, that was always there between, between God and Israel and his, 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 his own people. And he's reminding, of the fact, he's reminding them of the fact that there's his relationship there, that there's his family relationship with them. The Lord reveals himself here. And what I, what I think is so powerful in, this, in this, these couple of verses here is that there's always this link back to, I, God has done this. God has done that. God has done that. I did this. I did that. Powerful. We can be reminded of his power and of his presence. God reminds Israel of what he has done for them in the past. Their sin was that they switched allegiance from the Lord, from, from Yahweh, to other gods that didn't deserve their loyalty, that didn't deserve their worship. And so it basically means that the Israelites were unfaithful to the covenant that they had with Yahweh. God was faithful. He'd always been faithful. But the Israelites had not been faithful to him in return. So they brought all this trouble on themselves. They, the problem of the Midianites was actually, yes, it was a physical problem. Yes, you could see it on the outside, what was going on here. But it was actually the result of a spiritual problem that the Israelites had in those days. The prophet here was calling them back to Yahweh. And I don't know where you stand in your relationship with the Lord today. But I believe that God is using me today to call you back to Yahweh. Is there any, you know, static on the line with, with the Lord, with Jesus, in your relationship with him today? It could be. I believe he's calling you back to himself today. I really believe that. It doesn't mean, you know, when we choose loyalty, when we, we really choose to worship him and make him number one in our lives, it doesn't mean that we're suddenly perfect. You know, I wish that was the case because the world would, would be a way better place. There would be no issues in churches anymore because it was like a perfect, you know, gathering. No, it's not the case like that. But he's helping us. He's doing something in the inside of us so that the world around us actually becomes a better place as well. But it starts with loyalty. It starts with, you know, God is loyal to us and we're loyal back to him. He loves us that much. God promises this in Isaiah 26, verse 3. You keep in perfect peace those whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. So there's this picture here like, you know, if we, if we let our minds stay on the Lord, if we keep focusing on him, we, we get this perfect peace. We get this perfect shalom that, you know, the Hebrew here speaks about in, uh, behind the book of Isaiah. There's this peace that God has for us. And he wants to give that to us. Another verse in the New Testament, Jesus says this, Matthew 6, 33, he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added to you. All those things that we're worrying so much about, you know, our, our, you know, our income, our, our house, our family, everything else that we, that we worry about, our health. You know, yes, they're important, but there's something that is way more important that is putting God first in our lives. That is making him Lord and King over our lives. And when, when we do it, when, we, when our priorities are right in our lives, all the other things will fall into place. And that is so, so powerful about the, about the word of God here. That's this constant call, both in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament, that, that when we go back to loyalty to Yahweh, things will fall into place. Our lives will be made whole again. Order is restored and blessing is released in our lives. 
when we do it. And God wanted to work through a man. You wonder why, you know, this, this prophet appears and then as we continue to read the story, a, an angel appears. The angel of the Lord appears. And you're wondering, why doesn't God do the work himself? Why doesn't he straighten out the Israelites himself? Why doesn't he solve their problems himself? And I sometimes wonder that in my own life when, you know, things don't go the way I want them to go. And I'm wondering, God, why don't you show up? Why don't you do it for me? And then there's a silence. And God says to me, no, you figure it out. I've given you direction. I've given you my word. I've given you principles that you could live by. But here in this case, he, he calls a man that he wants to use to solve the issue. And that man's name is Gideon. We're going to get into the story. God wanted to use Gideon to demonstrate his power to his people. And in Judges 6 verse 11, it says this. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah. Now terebinth is a tree. And last week my wife spoke about Deborah. And she was judging under a tree. There's something about people and trees in the Bible. And we're not going to explore that today. But it's, it's a remarkable moment. And it belonged to Joash the Abiezrat. I have no clue how to pronounce it. Sorry about that. While his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Wow. Those are some words there. But why Gideon? Why is God, why is the angel of the Lord picking out Gideon to do his work? You got to just look at the character of this man. I mean, he was scared. This man was scared to death of the Midianites. That's why he is in the wine press threshing out wheat. How many of you have an agricultural background here in this room? One person. Okay, two people. Okay, if I'm lying, you know, I, I'm pretty sure. It's a little bit of research, right? I'm, you know, I'm pretty far removed from, you know, from that world, but I did a little bit of research. So when you thresh out wheat, not weed, some of you are thinking of your old lives. I'm talking about wheat, right? So when you're threshing out grain, what you do is you basically take the, take the you know, the, 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 the plants with the little, you know, the kernels in there, and you start, you know, whacking it. And then hopefully all the, the, the grains, all the kernels will fall out on the, on the floor. And then because there's a little bit of wind on a threshing floor, the wind will actually blow the chaff away and the chaff will be on another pile right there. So you actually separate the, the chaff from the wheat, right? And, and that's really how this works. The problem is when you do it in a wine press, a wine press is a contained thing. It's, it's, like, it's like something that's deeper in the ground. There is no wind in a wine press. So you must be really desperate. You must be really afraid to, to, to be threshing wheat in a wine press. It's not a smart idea. But if you're scared, you do, you're willing to do whatever it takes to make sure you don't starve to death. So that's how scared he was. And notice here in the story that it is the angel of the Lord that appears to Gideon. The angel of the Lord. Who is the angel of the Lord? Glad you asked. If you read through the story, just go down a couple of verses. I believe it's verse 14. And it becomes clear that this 
being that appears to Gideon, that is referred to as the angel of the Lord, the angel of Yahweh, actually is called Yahweh a couple of verses further. The writer of Judges goes back and forth between calling this person the angel of Yahweh and Yahweh himself. How interesting is that? So Gideon, he wasn't speaking to some kind of, you know, little chubby baby with wings as the Renaissance art paints angels. He's speaking to God himself. Even more interesting, if you actually look at all the data that both the Old Testament and the New Testament give, I believe the book of Hebrews is really important to make this case, but it actually makes it very clear that the angel of the Lord, the angel of Yahweh and Yahweh himself, is the same person as Jesus before his incarnation, before he took on human flesh 2,000 years ago. Now, that is a real powerful thought. Gideon was talking to Jesus as he was threshing out the grain in the winepress. So Jesus starts talking to Gideon. And what he does is he calls out Gideon's purpose and potential. The Lord is with you, almighty man of valor. The Lord is with you, almighty warrior, some other translations will put it. How about you? But if I'm, if I'm like Gideon, Gideon is this scaredy crow threshing wheat in a wine press, hiding it from the Midianites. If this, 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 this person comes up to me and, and calls me a mighty man of valor, I'm like, that can't be me. Who's standing behind me? I'm sure he must have done that, Gideon. So he looks behind him. That's not in the story. That's my artist impression, right? It's like he sees no, nobody. It's like, are you serious? Is this person, is he talking to me? Is he calling me a mighty man of valor? Must have been the strangest experience for, for Gideon. It was just him and the angel of the Lord. I just, when you look, when you look at this story, it's just so, so amazing. You know, God will call us back to himself when we wandered off. But he will not call our sins by name and, and tell us how bad we are and that we're good for nothing and any of those things. No, he will speak into our potential. He knows the person we can be. And he, do, he doesn't look at who we are at the moment. Yes, he looks and he has compassion on who we are at the moment, but he looks at who we can be. And he calls out that potential. He calls out that amazing man or woman of God that you're supposed to be, that you can be in his strength and in his power. He speaks to Gideon's potential. You know what? You, all of you, you're a mighty man or a mighty woman of valor. Maybe we just say it to the person next to us. Tell the person you're a mighty man of valor or a mighty woman of valor. I see a few of you don't do it. How can I get you to work along with this? No, don't worry about it. And then Gideon tries to chicken up. He's like, well, <laughs> I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. Judges 6.13, five excuses to not do God's will for your life. That could be a great title for this message today, so write it down. 
No, actually, we're going to get to a more positive flow later on. But there's, first, there's five excuses to not do what God asks you to do. First one is this, in verse 13. And Gideon said to him, to the angel of the Lord, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, if Yahweh is with us, excuse number one, God is not really with us. God is not really with us. He continues, why then has all of this happened to us? Excuse number two, God's motives are questionable. His motives are questionable. And he keeps, keeps on going. And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? Excuse number three, God cannot do today what he has done in the past. I don't know what your excuses are to not do what God is calling you to do. I've had many excuses to not do what he's called me to do. But you know what? God is not impressed by our excuses. In fact, when you look at the story here, he doesn't even engage in the discussion. He just lets Gideon moan and share what, what he has on his mind, and he doesn't even enter into a debate about that. Let him just do it. Let him just say it, you know. I'm going to get him anyway. But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. Yes, God gave the Israelites into the hands of the Midianites. Why? We already saw in verse 1 that they did evil in the Lord's sight. That's why he basically sold them into the hands of the Midianites. And then they started to serve other gods. In verse 10, you know, it says that they started to serve other gods. They deserted their God. Their, their loyalty was divided between Yahweh and, and the gods of the Amorites, other gods. And Jesus says in the New Testament that you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve mammon and, and me. You cannot serve mammon and, and Yahweh. You cannot serve mammon and Jesus. Or whatever other God or priority you would basically substitute mammon for. Your career. Your family. Your possessions. Your bank account with negative interest. All these other things. What is really number one in your life? You know, divided loyalty means no loyalty at all. Divided loyalty means no loyalty at all. We have to make a choice. You got to serve somebody. Isn't that a rock song somewhere? I'm not into rock. I'm into hip-hop. I was into hip-hop. Let me correct that before you all start sending me hate mail or whatever. You got to serve somebody. Who do you serve? Do you serve Yahweh? Do you serve you know, Jesus? Or do you serve someone else? That's the question. The Israelites were divided in their loyalty, but the good news was that there was a way back. There was a way back. And before God deals with the root cause of their issues, he inspires Gideon's courage. Verse 14, and the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? It's the ESV version. And the New Living Translation says this, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. Now, you may think you're weak, but, but God sees the potential in you. 
And it's not in your own strength, it's in his strength that you actually can gain the victory. You can live a life of victory. And that is good news for us, for us, for all of us. Philippians 4.13 says this, I can do all things. I already say all things. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But Gideon comes up with more excuses. How many thought that that three excuses would be enough? They weren't. So in verse 15, it says this, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest. In other words, my clan is the weakest, where my family is like unimportant, weak. And I'm the least in my father's house. So not only is my, my family weak and unimportant, I am the most unimportant person within, within my own family. Again, what are your excuses to not do what God is asking you to do? To not live a life of, of believing loyalty in Jesus where you, you know, live in close fellowship with him and, 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 and let his love shine through you to the world around you. What are your excuses to basically do whatever you want to do yourself rather than doing what God is asking you to do? Again, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So go with the strength that you have. We have strength in him. Verse 16, and the Lord said to him, but I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And that was one of, actually, the only excuse that the angel of the Lord is now answering. He says, I will be with you. So this is actually not the angel. This is Yahweh himself. I will be with you personally. When you do what I'm telling you to do, I'll make sure I'm going to be with you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to guide you. I'm going to direct you. I'm going to give you everything that you need. I'm going to give you all the strength, all the power that you need to do what I call you to do. How amazing is that? That God himself will be with us. That is the best counter argument to any of those excuses that you may have in your life to not do what God is calling you to do. You know, God promises his presence and, and his presence will be with Gideon to save Israel from their plight, to save Israel from the issue they had with the Midianites, to come against their enemy as one man in unity. And Gideon then asked the Lord to confirm his calling in the story with the fleece. We're not going to dig into that, but he does that. God confirms it. And then Gideon builds an altar to the Lord, and he calls it, the Lord is peace. Or in other words, Yahweh is peace. In Hebrew, it says Yahweh shalom. Yahweh shalom. Here's one thing that I think is so important for us to pick up on. We cannot have victory in our lives if we don't have peace in our lives. We cannot have God's victory in our lives if God's peace is not present in our lives. We need his shalom in us. It's a shalom. shalom means wholeness. It's a, it's a peace, like Ephesians explains, it's a peace that passes all understanding surpasses all understanding. It's, it's bigger than anything you could imagine. It's not the absence of strife. It's not the absence of, of problems. It's, it's a wholeness, a perfect wholeness that God wants to shower over you. That peace is yours when Jesus is yours. When Jesus is part of your life, not just some part of your life, when Jesus is number one in your life. That's when peace will come, will come over you. You can have peace with God because the Bible is very clear about it is that, you know, there's, there's a hostility between us and God because of our sins. 
And the only way that we can receive peace in our lives is because of what Jesus has done on the cross for us. When he died on the cross, he made peace for you to be able to enter into the presence of God, to be able to have a relationship with him. There's shalom needed in our lives, peace with God. Jesus is the answer. It's interesting to see how uh, Gideon built an altar to the Lord. It was basically a demonstration for this was, this was Gideon demonstrating that he was loyal to Yahweh, that, that he came back to loyalty with Yahweh, towards Yahweh, a demonstration. And then God challenges him again before he can go out to wage war against the Midianites. God challenges him to deal with the idolatry of his own people, of the people of Israel. Verse 25, take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold there with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. This is amazing. You know, Baal was like one of the, you know, strongest false religions in those days. Baal worship. Asherah was something similar. And it's so interesting that, that God basically tells Gideon to take the wood of that Asherah pole, cut it to pieces, and use it as like burning material for the, for the, for the offering, for the, for the sacrifice that he to bring, for the burnt offering. If you know a little bit about, you know, the sacrifices that the Jews brought, the Israelites brought back in the day, the burnt offering is something really special because it's a, an offering of total surrender, of total consecration to to the Lord, to Yahweh. And here's, here's what I think the, the point is, is that before we start to deal with the symptoms of the disloyalty in our hearts, we have to deal with the disloyalty in our hearts itself. We have to figure out what is wrong. Is my heart still in tune and check with, with the Lord? Is Jesus still number one in my life? Because, you know, we run into all sorts of problems. And, and if you're not careful... Um, and we've, we've fallen this trap at Thousand Hills in the past, and we're not going to go there again. But, like, when we, when we make mistakes and, you know, people make mistakes and they drift away from, from the Lord, then, then all these, this, this strange behavior kind of comes to the surface. Like, you start to get trapped in sin. You know, you hurt other people. There's a lot of other things that, that, that you start doing. And instead of trying to put, like, band-aids on the symptoms, all those little issues... It is so much better to go back to the root issue, to the root cause of this, which is your heart. Where is your heart? In the Old Testament, the disadvantage that the Israelites had is that, that they had to do it, basically had to do it in their own strength, remain loyal to Yahweh. But there's this promise in the, even in the Old Testament, in, in Isaiah and Ezekiel as well, like that God is going to give us a new heart, a new heart. And that new heart is what God has given us through Jesus, through what Jesus has done on the cross. He, he basically lets his spirit live in us so that God lives in us and, and God actually helps us to, to live lives of total surrender, of total loyalty to God. And basically, he supplies us with the strength. So the strength we have is actually not our own strength. It's God's strength in us that will allow us to keep our side of the covenant with God. That's a new covenant. It's not a covenant that was just made with the Israelites. It's the covenant that everyone 
who in this world, Jew or non-Jew, black or white or Asian or whatever, doesn't matter. All of us were welcome at God's table. All of us were welcome in God's family through the new covenant. So God changes our heart from the inside. But it starts with that burnt offering for us. You know, we, we don't do burnt offerings anymore, praise God. I'm, I c- couldn't just imagine that we would have a f- fireplace right here with stones and then there's a, like a little bit of wood and then, you know, we put this bull on the altar right here. Could you imagine the smell when you're fasting? <laughs> Steak. <laughs> Come back to where we started, right? It wouldn't be a good thing. But we can bring ourselves as a, as a burnt offering. We can bring ourselves as a, as, a, as a living sacrifice. You know, and I don't know about you, but, you know, in this day and age, with signs and everything else that's going around, we have all sorts of questions about faith and what it means to, to be a Jesus follower. But God is not asking, God is not going to give us answers to all those questions. He's saying to us, no, you get to a, a point of full surrender or full consecration. And some of those answers I'll answer for you. Some of those questions I'll answer for you. Others I don't, I won't. You just have to trust me. There's an altar for for a burnt offering. And that burnt offering is no longer a bull or a goat or anything else. The burnt offering is you and me. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2 says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers, on account of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what is good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is burnt offering language from the Old Testament. And Paul gives it a twist, makes it relevant for our lives today as in in a season where Jesus did it all for us, where he hung on that cross for our lives so we could have peace with him, but he's basically asking us to lay ourselves on that altar, bring our lives as a sacrifice, to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to the Lord. And he says, do not be conformed to this world. What does it mean? You know, it's, again, it's, it's Yahweh against any other priority. Again, it's Yahweh against the world system, being conformed to this world. Again, it's Yahweh against the gods that people run after in our world today. He's saying, no. Don't be conformed to them. Don't switch your allegiance to them. Make sure that that I, that Jesus, stays number one in everything. When we give our lives as a burnt offering, making sure that we are not squeezed in the mold of this world and start following other priorities and make other things so big and important in our lives, we got to do these things. we got to put these things aside and go after Jesus with everything in us. We'll find out what God's perfect will is when we live a life 
our lives as sacrifice. You know, Jesus said to his disciples, and he says it to you and me, pick up my, pick up your cross daily and follow me. A life of breakthrough starts with surrender. A life of breakthrough starts with receiving and experiencing the peace, the shalom of God, and then living in it. Allowing the Lord to, to work in power in our lives. We need his peace. We need that surrender. And, and, and you know, today, I really believe that God's giving all of us like keys to victory in our lives. How many of you want to live a victorious life with Jesus? I want to live a victorious life with Jesus. So my, my challenge to you this morning is to allow the Holy Spirit to come over you. It's to allow God to, to bring you to that place of total surrender, of total consecration. And let your life be that burnt offering towards him. Not my will be done, but your will be done. That's what Jesus said to his heavenly father. It can be our prayer as well. It's no longer I who sit on the throne, it's Jesus who sits on the throne. That's Christianity 101, but we so often miss this. Jesus, number one. Nobody else. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads. Maybe we could all stand in the presence of the Lord. I want to ask, invite the band back up as well. God, we thank you that you bring us to a place of surrender. Maybe we could just all lift our hands to the Lord right now. Hands that are raised and surrendered to you, Jesus. We're waving the white flag of surrender, Jesus. Lord, it's not my will, but your will that needs to be done. God, I, I give my life as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing in your sight. God, no longer do I want to be conformed to this world, but I want to be renewed in my mind through your word. And Father, I pray for every person in this room today, Lord. You know, you're tugging on their hearts by way of your Holy Spirit. You're, you're calling them into to, to loyalty, into covenant faithfulness, Lord, because you've been faithful to them and you're calling them back to yourself. God, we all wonder. We all have the tendency to wander away from you. And God, we repent of that. We come back to you, Lord, and we we invite you, God, to be our all. We want you, Jesus, to be our all. It's you and you alone, God. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody says, amen. Let's give the Lord a praise.